In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. St. Paul begins our epistle with an exhortation, quote, Be followers of me and note those who so walk, so that you have us for a pattern. St. Paul is not here holding himself out as a pattern to follow in sort of competition with Christ, for Christ calls us to follow him. Rather, he is saying that his life and the life of other faithful Christians in Philippi could be used as a model for what it means to follow Christ. And their example stood in contrast with others who were not faithful, whom St. Paul describes this way, quote, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and tell you now even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. I don't think St. Paul was, had in mind here pagan non-believers. I think he had in mind here those who in some way identified themselves as Christians, but nonetheless whose behavior reflected the patterns of the world around them. In an authentic practice of the Christian faith, we put to death the desires of our fallen nature through confession. It's an ongoing process. And we continually reorient our lives towards Christ, who alone can satisfy our deepest desires. In a false practice of the Christian faith, there is a general association with Christ in name only. But there is no sharing of the cross, no putting to death of the old self, and no change in behavior, no orienting life towards a new pattern. The phrase, whose God is their belly, seems to point to the physical appetites, what we may call the sins of the flesh. But this critique can be applied to any supposedly Christian manner of life that sets its focus mainly on the things of this world rather than the coming of Christ, which is what St. Paul exhorts us to focus on in the epistle. The key phrase is, who set their minds on earthly things. Minding earthly things or setting our mind on earthly things is particular danger for Christians when we enter into politics. An election holds the promise of a earthly result that we may want very badly. And it is tempting to focus solely on that earthly thing we want and as a result lose sight of our citizenship in the kingdom of God. And this temptation is exacerbated by the decline of Christian faith and the influence of Christian faith in our culture and therefore the desire to reclaim lost territory. A generation or, or so ago, probably a little more than a generation now, our country was a place that was hospitable to Christian faith and morality. And we now live in a country where both face significant opposition. To be a committed Christian now, as opposed to just one who puts their name as a Christian on the surveys that say 75% of the people are Christians. To be a committed Christian now is to be part of a distinct minority. 
we are much closer to the situation that characterized St. Paul's time when the small Christian community was surrounded by a prevailing cultural idolatry. To be sure, the idolatry of consumerism is different in its practice than the idolatry that sacrificed animals in pagan temples, but both are at root worship of the god of the belly. The early church had no political power. It grew and conquered the ancient world by its personal witness to Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. It refused to participate in the prevailing idolatry. It formed communities that lived in a different way, communities governed by the principle of love or agape, and it changed the ancient world from the bottom up. It began with Jesus calling a few people to follow him and then spread outward from there until more and more people were drawn to this new community. It is tempting to think that we can reverse the decline of faith in our culture from the top down through politics. If we can elect the right leaders who will promote the right policies and establish the right laws, we can renew the culture from the top down. This approach had some success in the past on a surface level in certain monarchies. The Book of Common Prayer was imposed upon England by royal edict. If you didn't follow it, you might find yourself in the tower. But democracies have less power to command. Laws can impose certain limits and can require certain behaviors, but unless people really want to do these things, they probably won't. A line I once heard from Father David expressed it well, quote, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. The public witness of Christians in this election cycle has been less than compelling. There is no such thing as a moral compromise for a good cause. Moral and spiritual compromise coupled with the loss of political influence leave Christians with neither the power to change things from the top down nor with the power to persuade from the heart. And the main problem is precisely what St. Paul is talking about. If we set our minds on earthly things like election results, we are likely to make compromises to our faith in order to achieve victory. And this is no different from an overwhelming desire of the appetite that leads us to transgress moral boundaries to achieve satisfaction. In the Gospel, the Pharisees asked Jesus a question about a hot-button political issue of their day. Was it consistent with the Torah for a Jewish person to pay taxes to Caesar, a pagan king? It wasn't a real question because they weren't interested in the answer Jesus had to give. Like most of the political questions that are asked in our time, it was a, a gotcha question designed to uh, expose the person being questioned to opposition or some form of ridicule. But the answer Jesus gave established an order, a priority. 
The coin bore the image and likeness of Caesar, and therefore that coin could be given to Caesar. But since we who are made in God's image bear the image and likeness of God, our whole being is to be offered to God in worship and in service. In other words, while it is necessary to fulfill our various temporal duties to earthly rulers, our overarching allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And our lesser duty to the earthly kingdom must never lead us to transgress the principle of allegiance to God's kingdom. Politics present a unique temptation to compromise. It was one of the temptations that Jesus himself faced in the wilderness. He was promised all the kingdoms of the world in exchange for the worship of Satan. Politics represent power, and the temptation to power is very great for all of us. Surely, if only we were in control, we would rule wisely and justly, unlike those unrighteous and unjust rulers we now despise. The Lord of the Rings trilogy is a meditation on precisely this thing. One point it makes is that power can only be rightly held by someone who is able to give it up for the sake of obedience. The desire to gain power tempts Christians to act in ways that are not consistent with the faith, either because we allow opponents to provoke us to unrighteous anger or because we want to win so badly that we are willing to do whatever it takes. The rebuilding of an authentic Christian witness in our culture will depend mostly on how we fight the battle, not on whether we win it or lose it. Much like the early Christian martyrs won the battle by dying in a holy way, even though they were subject to a very visible defeat. Our political culture is characterized by a simplistic polarization of every issue into two opposing camps, by a refusal to listen to any opposing arguments, and by debates that amount to little more than two people yelling at each other while repeating their campaign slogans. Unfortunately, many who bear the name of Christ follow these worldly patterns and their engagement with politics. Rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's means that there is a place for Christians in the public sphere. However, our engagement with politics must be different from those whose God is their belly and who set their mind on earthly things. We follow a king who is coming in glory to judge the world and to hold each one of us accountable and to establish his universal reign of righteousness and justice, which will also be a reign of civility and love. We can only be exiles and aliens in any earthly kingdom. And one spiritual benefit of the decline of faith in our culture is it can help to reattach us to our authentic hope. As St. Paul says, quote, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body 
that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the power by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.